0: Hello, I'm Abram Banningen.
1: And I'm Joanne Diaz.
0: And this is Poetry for All.
1: This podcast is for those who already love poetry and for those who know very little about it. In each episode, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time.
0: And today we are delighted to discuss Rafael Campo's poem, Primary Care. Joanne, would you be willing to read that for us? Yes,
1: absolutely. Primary Care. You, body, bleed. You stink. You interrupt with plaintive sounds as if we didn't know you suffer. Dressed in youth, you dazzle me with your perfection, body. Your two knees, two eyes, two nipples, your fraught symmetries. Oh, body, even as you age, you sing. You are tender in certain places. You believe you could be dying. Body, please, repair yourself once more, bleed and stink, decay again until, beneath your fragile skin, I see the outlines of the soul you shield. You, body, you will come again to me. I see you naked in the shower, in the mirror, realize that somehow you must never die. Oh, body, you are us. All any of us have when we are lost. You are immodest. You are honesty. I see how careful you are when you bleed and when you stink. It is God's grief we smell. You, body, weep. You think. You scar as if to show us our own history, as if we didn't know. Body, bleed. Body, stink. Remind us that we suffer, yes, Remind us that we must, or else we never lived.
0: <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. That's a great poem. I know. Uh, you know, reading it through it this time, we've read through this poem a couple times together. And reading through this time, it strikes me how many moods there are in this poem. It starts off almost funny. Right? Yeah. Ah, oh, body, you stink. <laughs> and by the end, uh, it's quite moving. I, oh, I love this poem. Yeah. Can you tell me, who, who is Raphael Campo? Oh,
1: he's wonderful. He's a prize-winning poet, the author of several collections of poetry. He's received a Guggenheim Fellowship, awards from the National Poetry Series, the Lambda Literary Award. And he's also a practicing physician, which is amazing to me. Uh, he practices internal medicine at Harvard Medical School and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. And definitely, a lot of his work focuses on his experiences with illness and recovery and sometimes death. But he also explores his identity as a gay person, as a Cuban American. And he is certainly one of the best formalist poets writing in America today. I absolutely love him. And I know his work not only as a poet, but also as an essayist. He's led workshops that all over the country that foreground the idea that poetry can be a kind of medicine. And he has one book I really recommend to our listeners. It's called The Healing Art. And in this book, he offers close readings of poems that deal with illness from a variety of perspectives, and I just I love that about him, and I love his work.
0: Ah, that's great. You know, it reminds me, I um, I taught medical humanities when I was in graduate school. It was mm-hmm. one of the jobs that we could do. We went down to the hospital, uh, the med campus, and we taught budding nurses and doctors uh, poetry and literature, and my class was on death and dying. It was really fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> what what always struck me about it was that you know the the poems that I would give them when I first gave them poetry they all thought no poetry is not for me i can't read poems this is this is never going to happen these are people who basically never read a poem on purpose mm. uh, it might happen to them <laughs> but, but accidentally yeah. and i said no try to read these poems uh, i think you'll find them way more accessible than you imagine and sure enough so i gave them without by donald hall mm. just an incredible collection of poetry about his dying wife Jane Kenyon and and they all came back to me and said I didn't realize that poetry that you could read poetry like this and just just understand it just be moved by it yeah. you know and there's and there's a way in which uh, this this poem too it is formal it and and we'll get into that it's iambic pentameter's blank verse And so it has a form to it, but it is so accessible, it's so readable, it's so just in your face that that anybody has access to it. I love bringing these kinds of poems to people who think, oh, no, poetry's not for me.
1: Well, and and to take your point, I was inspired by you and others uh, from our cohort in graduate school who did teach in that medical humanities program at Northwestern Medical School. And I, at Illinois Wesleyan, I teach in illness narratives, medical humanities, humanities class to undergraduates because, of course, why wait until medical school or when you're a physician to encounter these poems and really think about empathy and the experience of illness, right? And I find that the 18 and 19-year-olds that I'm teaching respond to these poems in exactly the same way, Abram. So yeah, absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. So we, we are dealing with a formal poem that you described as one of the great formalist poets. And when we say formal, we're talking about working in traditional forms. So Asada is a traditional form, Villanelle is a traditional form. What is the form of this poem and and how would you describe that?
1: Yes, this is a blank verse poem. And if you heard me read it just now, you wouldn't necessarily know that because it really sounded like just contemporary vernacular speech, right? Um, But that's because he's creating a lot of variety and excitement in his blank verse lines. So what is blank verse? Originally, it was a pejorative. Term blank verse. Uh, in the Renaissance, people called this form blank verse because they couldn't hear a rhyme at the ends of the lines. So to them, it sounded empty. It didn't sound like poetry. <laughs> but basically, every line has this beat ba bum, ba bum, ba bum, ba bum, ba That's iambic pentameter, right? So it's a set of iambic mm. pentameter lines. And this is the most resilient poetic meter in the English language. I I don't think that that's a a highly controversial thing I'm saying (laughs) because we slip into iambic pentameter all the time without even realizing that we're doing it. It has a nice walking beat. Um, The cadences of the English language are captured beautifully in it. And it's a great form if you want to tell a story, if you want to meditate on illness, as Rafael Campo is here. You know, it's a nice uh, meter for walking. So a walking beat, I'm I'm thinking of William Wordsworth's Tintern Abbey. It's certainly the most famous uh, poetic example. But contemporary poets are using it too because it can be both active and meditative. It can feel like a a dramatic monologue or or soliloquy. It's a very nice, resilient form.
0: Yeah. And what I love about it too is that it's perfectly sort of poised between conversational mm. tone and it can also soar into kind of a high rhetoric and And you can slip into conversation. You can be kind of funny. And then you can start to be moving and and pretty powerful and poignant. Uh, And so it's it's an incredible sort of beat and form for for moving between those registers.
1: Yes, and very good for creating an argument. So when you and I talked about this poem a while back, we talked about how actually there is something a bit argumentative about it and how there's a bit of a concession at the end. There's a, a shift in the poet as a result of the articulation of the poem right
0: yeah well and one of the things you see happening to to kind of catch that shift is that there is a refrain Mm. built into this poem and so if you look at that first line you body bleed you stink you interrupt with plaintive sounds as if we didn't know you suffer. Okay, that's two and a half lines. Mm. But, but uh, the first refrain, the, the words bleed and stink, they come up again and yeah. again and again throughout this poem. And by recurring throughout the poem, uh, what Campo can do with that is he can shift the register each time they come up. So the next time they come up, body, please repair yourself once more, bleed and stink. Decay again, right? And then I see how careful you are when you bleed and when you stink. Mm. And by the end, it's this imperative, this command: body bleed, body stink. Remind us that we suffer. And so, um, yeah. and so it, the movements of the poem are tracked by this repetition with variation.
1: Well, and speaking of variation, let's go back to that first sentence for a moment, which is so rich. I love reading this as the first sentence of the poem. Look what it establishes and activates. You, body, bleed. You stink. You interrupt with plaintive sounds as if we didn't know you suffer. Now, so that automatically addresses the you is the body, right? So it's addressing an object that can't speak back, but an object that is giving us all of this information. But listen to what I did. I didn't read it as you body bleed, you stink, you interrupt. It, no, it, it, the way that Campo writes, he's inserting all of these commas which create a deep pause or say in the middle of the line. And then at the ends of his lines, he's often using enjambment. And enjambment occurs when there's no punctuation to stop a poetic line. So that it then sounds much more like natural speech. And then I like the tone of that first sentence. You, body, bleed. You stink. You interrupt with plaintive sounds as if we didn't know you suffer. It's almost like, body, you're doing overkill right now. Like, all of this <laughs> bleeding and stinking, we don't need to know that you're in pain, but you keep reminding us, right?
0: Yeah. And if you look at the the title of the poem, which, of course, is always important, Primary Care... Uh, Well, that reminds us that maybe this is a doctor because we have primary care doctors, right? What primary care doctors are, in many ways, the the, the people who know us most intimately. Mm. They track us throughout our life. We're we're constantly coming back to them. We're constantly basically naked before them. Mm. They know us through all the ailments of our body. And so on the one hand, you could see him as a doctor addressing the body that keeps coming back to him and coming back to him and coming back to him. But then by the middle of the poem, uh, there's this sense in which he's talking to his own body. You body, you will come again to me. I see you naked in the shower, in the mirror. There's this shift. It sort of feels like, oh, this is not just a doctor talking to patients. This is a doctor talking to himself. And yet there's also this, oh body, you are us. There's this universal to it. So One of the things I love about this poem is that the way that it's using you and me and us, it's hyper individual you can picture this one body Mm. going through these changes this one person sort of pleading with the body but it's also in a certain sense universal It's, it's it's reflecting on the way that we are each embodied and that we can apply this poem each to our own selves
1: wow so that's a nice example of where even just the use of pronouns is so essential whenever we study any poem. But when we get to that sentence, like right in the middle of the poem, Oh body, you are us all any of us have when we are lost. You are immodest. You are honesty. These are amazing uh, truth claims that a ph- yeah. physician poet is making, you know? And I love what you said about how you know, yes, he's making these observations about all the bodies that he encounters, perhaps as a physician, but also his own body and his own limitations as a, as a mortal human, right? It, the connection, the connective tissue of this poem really interests me a
0: lot. Yeah. And and the other thing he's building in, of course, is this wonderful sort of scope of the whole human life. Mm. And so... If you look at that second sentence, dressed in youth, you dazzle me. Yeah. And so, it, it, of course, he's playing with these sounds, alliteration, dressed and dazzle, and so on. But it's it's this wonderful. Let's start there. Let's start in youth. You know, this these sort of perfect bodies. The, the mic might be picking up my toddler behind yeah. us, who who might be falling again from a couch or somewhere and just springing back up, perfectly fine. Yes. Uh, but if I but if I did that, I would be down in this poem a little bit further, <laughs> right? Oh, body, repair yourself again. (laughs)
1: absolutely
0: (laughs) what i love is that third sentence um because as you as you as you get into the aging Mm -hmm. there is this this sort of intimacy this love of the body even as it ages so oh body even as you age you sing you are tender in certain places there's a kind of intimacy of knowledge There's a kind of intimate attention to the body that develops uh, through age that's kind of remarkable and and sort of remarkably traced in this
1: poem. Oh, that's really—I love what you're saying there. And then when you push further into the next sentence— Body, please, repair yourself once more. Bleed and stink, decay again until beneath your fragile skin I see the outlines of the soul you shield. Wow, we went from the dazzle of youth to the shielding of the soul as we become older, perhaps more fragile, perhaps ill, right? That's so powerful. What a powerful image.
0: Yeah, I love that image. You know, it starts to get very deep. Realize that somehow you must never die. And I, I sort of wonder what you do with that because, of course, the body dies. Yeah. And so, but he's just spoken of the soul that the body shields. And so he's starting to think about death and what comes next. And he says to the body, y- you must never die. It's sort of like a uh, that must is so important, right? Like it's mm. its not necessarily a statement of faith. It's sort of a statement of hope or something. Yeah. So, you, you can't, please don't. You must never, you must never die.
1: Right. Okay. That's really useful because I think that sometimes when we read poems, we imagine that the poet is a voice of certainty and authority. But I I sense the authority slipping there, right? There's a sense of urgency in that sentence. You, body, you will come again to me. I see you naked in the shower, in the mirror. Realize that somehow you must never die. It's almost like the poetic speaker is looking in the mirror and wants to push against death and and really wishes that it didn't have to be so.
0: And I I see this sort of upsetness of it as well in this wonderful sentence, um, this two-line sentence. I see how careful you are when you bleed, and when you stink, it is God's grief we smell." now, swimming in the waters that I swim in, I cannot help but think of the Lazarus story when I when I see this because, so so the, the story of Lazarus in, in John 11 is, is, Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus's, he mm. dies, uh, and then you get the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And so, of course, Jesus is, is thought of as God, so it's God's grief, right? And, and the reason I attach it to that story in particular is because when he comes there uh, and when he weeps, he says, roll back the two, open the two tomb. And everybody says to him, we can't do that. He's going to (laughs) stink. He's been in that tomb for four days. His body is going to stink. Uh, And Jesus says, no, 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 open the tomb. And of course, in that story, Lazarus walks out. Uh, His body is alive. But there's this sense of the the link between this stinking body and Jesus weeping there uh, at his friend's death. And so, For me, I just can't help but see that as a reference in those lines.
1: That's amazing. And I would never have seen that if I were reading this (laughs) poem by myself, which is why I'm really (laughs) glad we have these conversations. (laughs) But yes, yes, that adds such a whole other layer to this. And, you know, because the poem lives beyond the poet, once he's released it out into the world, there is that quality of the poem continuing to sing its concerns to us across time, which I love that. And I love what you're saying about Jesus. Wow, that's
0: great. Yeah, let me just follow up on that point, because I think that's super important. What I am not saying is that Campo deliberately sat down and made a reference to Lazarus in this poem. Uh, Maybe he did. I don't know. But what I am saying is that for me as a reader... The world that I live in comes with me when I read a poem. This is why poetry can be so rich in so many different directions. And we don't always have to ask, well, did the poet intend that? The point is that the poem lives in the meeting of it. As a text at the world of the reader who meets it. And so so for me, seeing that in the poem it makes the poem rich and, and, and alive in a certain kind of way. For you or for others, maybe not seeing that reference, it lives in a different kind of way. And that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Our personal selves are part of the process when it comes to reading poetry. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's nice. And then but I do like what you said because it does help me understand how the speaker in this poem is finally able to concede, you know, to the body and to, its, mm-hmm. to what it must do, right? So that final sentence, which I love so much, body bleed, body stink, remind us that we suffer. Yes, remind us that we must or else we never lived. What a powerful insight. And I, I think we all understand that, right? That suffering is a part of being human. We don't like it. We don't look forward to it. We try. I know I try to avoid it at all costs, but it's foundational to the human experience. And that yes, in the penultimate line, is a concession uh, in that argument that the speaker is having with the body, right? I love that.
0: The living of life comes with certain vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. in it. And he's not asking for suffering. He's not validating suffering as such, but he is validating the life that suffers. Um, Body bleed, body stink, remind us that we suffer. Yes, remind us that we must or else we never lived. And there is that comma that pauses us in the last line. But it's it's interesting to me to note, too, that You know, there's a lot of speeding up and slowing down that goes into this poem. Mm -hmm. But by the end, we fall into perfect iambic pentameter.
1: So that, see, that's a beautiful example of where form can contribute to content, right? That the rhetorical shift at the end of the poem stabilizes something, resolves something, and that the metrical variations have been resolved as well. That's beautiful. Um, With all of that in mind, would you please read this poem again?
0: absolutely primary care you body bleed you stink you interrupt with plaintive sounds as if we didn't know you suffer dressed in youth you dazzle me with your perfection body your two knees two eyes two nipples your fraught symmetries oh body even as you age you sing You are tender in certain places. You believe you could be dying. Body, please, repair yourself once more. Bleed and stink. Decay again until, beneath your fragile skin, I see the outlines of the soul you shield. You, body, you will come again to me. I see you naked in the shower, in the mirror. Realize that somehow you must never die. Oh, body, you are us. All any of us have when we are lost. You are immodest. You are honesty. I see how careful you are when you bleed. And when you stink, it is God's grief we smell. You, body, weep. You think, you scar as if to show us our own history, as if we didn't know. Body, bleed, body, stink. Remind us that we suffer. Yes, remind us that we must, or else we never lived.
1: Wow, that was a really good reading. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm serious, I think that's my favorite reading that you've ever done. that is beautiful. It was so pa- well, it was you. so powerful. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Abram. Thank you, Dr. Rafael Campo. And thank you to the George Boichart Literary Agency for granting us permission to read this poem today. To learn more about Rafael Campo, please visit our website at poetryforall.fireside.fm.
0: You can subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you.